So this morning, uh, I'm going to be preaching from a passage in John chapter 21. I would invite you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to that or with your phone and to your device, to your Bible app. Open up to John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. You can use the Bible in the seat in front of you or, or you can look at the screen. It will also be on the screen behind me as well. So we're doing stories uh, from the gospel that are testifying to the appearance of Jesus after he was raised from the dead, after he was resurrected. So we have another encounter here after he was resurrected that John tells us in this chapter, again, starting in verse 1 of chapter 21. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was, how the th- this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray as I begin. Father, thank you so much from this, for this word, this story that comes to us in your word, in the Bible. We thank you for these words of life that offer and bring life and promise life through the resurrected Christ. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in and through This message through this story, these words that come to us, reminding us, God, again, of this calling that you've placed on on our lives as disciples of the risen Savior. Lord, we just invite your spirit to be at work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, many folks I know really enjoy fishing. In fact, a few of them, I would say, live to fish. Now, I know some other folks who don't necessarily enjoy fishing so much, but they really enjoy eating fish. You know, fish is a really healthy food. I've heard it's really good for your heart. And still others I know live strictly by a seafood diet. They seafood and they eat it. Okay, you've probably heard that one before. So I don't know which category you would fit into. But I enjoy fishing on occasion. I don't necessarily live to fish, but I enjoy fishing, especially when the fish are biting. Now, again, the people that love to fish, even when they don't catch any fish, it's still a good day to be out and just enjoying nature and being out on the lake, and they just enjoy that time. For me, I kind of have fishing ADD is how I would describe it. If we're out fishing and then we're out there for an hour or two and there's not any bites going on, then I'm kind of like, hey, let's quit. Let's go play some cards. Let's go golf. Let's do something like that. 
I don't know if you know, but, but life can be a little bit like fishing sometimes. There are seasons in our life that are just full of joy and purpose, and life is going really great. You know, the job is going really well. Our family is thriving. Again, life is great. And yet there are other seasons when it feels like we're kind of in the doldrums in life, right? Work's just kind of not going great. Uh, we maybe we have some real struggles going on in our family. Again, just some challenges. And we feel like we're kind of caught in a rut. And we don't know how to get moving or how to get out of that place. And so often I think our, my, our faith kind of mirrors our life experience too. And, and I think about the challenge of how often my faith kind of moves with how the circumstances of my life are going. You know, if life's going really great, then faith is really good too. But if I'm really kind of struggling or I just have some tough things going on, faith can sometimes be a challenge. And I would prefer, you know, that's not really the way I want it to be. So how do we be in a place where even where life isn't necessarily going great, that our faith can remain strong and we can just keep moving forward, trusting that God is at work in our life? Well, in the text this morning that I read from in John 21, the disciples were having a bad fishing day, real technically a bad fishing night in this story. And we kind of begin with their experience of failure. The story begins with the disciples obediently waiting for the Lord in Galilee. Why do I say obediently? Because there was a number of places that were told that they had been instructed to go to Galilee. Even before his death, Jesus had said to the disciples in the upper room, Matthew 26, verse 20, or 32, he said, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. That directive was confirmed by angels who were at the tomb who spoke to the women who were at the, what came to the tomb. In Matthew 28, verse 7, they told the women, Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And then later in that same chapter in verse 10, Jesus himself tells the same ladies to tell the disciples to go to Galilee. So here they are. They're in Galilee. They've done what they've been told to do and they're waiting. And they're waiting and they're waiting for Jesus to come to them. And just as they were told to do, they were there. Nothing was happening, though. Nobody seemed to know exactly how long they were supposed to wait there. Some may begin to wonder if they had misunderstood the instructions that they had been given to them. Surely Jesus would have come by now. These disciples are no longer, they're no longer depressed or defeated, uh, as they had been right after the crucifixion. The tragedy of the cross had turned into the reality and the triumph of the resurrection. Jesus had, in fact, already appeared to them on a few occasions. We've told some of those stories the last few weeks. And their recent experiences with the, with the Lord have been wonderful. But what exactly did all that mean? Jesus wasn't with them regularly anymore. He was appearing and then going away. And they just didn't know what was going on or where he was at. I think they were uncertain of what they were supposed to do at this point in their journey. Have you ever been in a place like that where you're uncertain? When it seems like something needed to be done, but you didn't know exactly what to do. You were tired of doing nothing, but you did something anyway because you just really felt like you needed to do something. You know, something like that happened Monday night when we had the call to go out uh, to get volunteers to help us set up for a Red Cross shelter. Again, we sent the call out at 5 o'clock. We needed 12 volunteers, and we got 60, which was amazing, in just one hour. And so then... We unloaded all the cots from the Red Cross trucks. We unloaded all their supplies. We kind of got everything in the, in the right place. And then we were just kind of waiting because we're waiting for the tarps to come to cover the gymnasium floor so we could set up some more cots there. Well, we set some cots up in the Life Center. 
we kind of had an area that we set up, and then we just were waiting for those tarps to be set up. So while we had people waiting, they were all coming to me and to a couple of Red Cross people saying, what do we do? We're here to help. And there was just nothing to be done at that point. And then I thought, you know what? we got a bunch of cots in the gym. We're waiting for the tarp. Well, let's go ahead and bring those bags into the, into the life center, the commons area. We'll go ahead and set those cots up because it takes a few minutes to set each cot up. We'll set them up in the life center, and then we'll just carry the cots into the gym. It'll save us probably 15 or 20 minutes when the tarps arrive. And so everybody went and scrambled. We did that. We set everything up. And so then the Red Cross volunteers came back with the tarps, got the tarps down, and one of the Red Cross volunteers kind of looked around and said, why did we set up all these cots? We might not even need them because we don't know how many people we're going to get. And I just kind of went, well, I don't, you know, I don't know why we did that. But <laughs> So here's the reality. You know, we need help today uh, at 1130 because we got to get all those cots back into the Red Cross truck. So if you can help us after the service, Move the red cots back, the, the cots into the, into the bags and into the truck. If we have 20 volunteers, it will take us less than 10 minutes. But the reality is, all those cots in the gymnasium, not one of them was slept in. So that was just somebody needing to do something when it felt like something needed to be done. So here we have Peter. He's tired of waiting around in the story. And he just burst out, I'm going to go fishing. An amplified version of that statement might be, I'm tired of sitting around doing nothing all day long and waiting, and I don't quite know where Jesus is at. He goes, and I've got a family to feed. I've got things to take care of. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go fishing. I don't know about you guys. I'm going fishing tonight. And then six other disciples said, hey, we're going with you. Sounds like a great idea. Uh, What can I say? It just felt like something needed to be done. And so the text tells us they went to a place called the Lake of Tiberias. Well, it's also the Lake of it's the Galilee, uh, the lake, the Sea of Galilee. There's like three or four different names for this lake in the Bible. So 13 miles long, seven miles wide. The disciples knew this lake really well. This is kind of the area they had grown up in. This is the lake they'd fished their whole lives on. John and James, this was probably the area, the exact same area where they had been fishing with their dad for so many years. And if they could do, if they could do nothing uh, else, they could at least fish, right? These guys were fishermen. They knew how to fish in these waters. So what happened next was what I would call a miracle in reverse. To their absolute amazement, they go out and go fishing and they catch absolutely nothing. They were fishing during the night, uh, which was the best time to fish. They were working hard at what they knew how to do and what they had been so successful doing so many times before. And yet they're pulling in the nets and every time they pull the nets in, there is nothing in the net. There are no fish. They're catching nothing. Nothing's working. I can imagine just looking into that boat at some point in the middle of the night. It just had to be almost humorous from our perspective. You had these seven disciples out there. They're working their hearts out. They're catching nothing. I imagine like at 2 o'clock in the morning, they pull another empty net in, and John's looking at Peter, and he says, what in the world is going on? And they try harder. They, they, they cast the nets out again, but nothing is working. They just keep coming up empty. They pick up the pace. They work harder. Nothing is working. By 5 o'clock in the morning, again, nothing has landed in their nets, and the sun is starting to come up from the east, and they know the day is coming, and the day is not a good time to catch fish. So, And so the Scripture again tells us, but no one has caught any fish. This has probably got to be especially frustrating to Peter. I would imagine he's still struggling with some of the thoughts in his mind about his denial of Christ, and he probably thought to some extent, I failed as a disciple. But now I can at least go back to the fishing business. I can go back and do what I know and what I do best. And there they are tonight. They have caught nothing after a night-long time of fishing. 
How often in our own frustration we try to make something happen when nothing seems to be happening. And our efforts just seem to make things worse. And then these disciples we have in the story, they have an experience of success. What happened? Well, as the morning breaks, a stranger on the beach calls out to them and he says, Hey, friends, have you caught any fish? This would be somewhat normal thing. Oftentimes the traders in the market would come out to the shore to see if any of the fishermen had caught any fish, to see if they could purchase some fish, take it back to the market, and sell it. So again, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they said. It was a short answer. And then came a suggestion. Well, then throw your net out on the right side, and you're going to find some fish. And I can't tell you why they obeyed. They didn't know that this was Jesus at this point. They just thought this was some guy on the shore. But they thought, why not? Let's give it one more try. What do we have to lose? And when they obeyed that directive, bingo, their net was full of fish. So many fish were told that they couldn't pull the net into the boat. 153 fish, we learn later on in the story. Now, why, why do we have that specific number? You know, so many biblical scholars have studied that number and they've tried to make symbols out of that number. And I would tell you that I think simply the number means they caught a lot of fish. Let's not try to read too much into the story. But I also think because we know it's 153, it's one way we can know this story is true, right? They took time to count every fish, and it's a whale of a fish story, right? And these guys told this fish story for the rest of their lives. And this fish story even came into Scripture, and now we have it. And it's not only a great fish story, but it's a story about, again, this encounter with the resurrected Christ, a miracle that he performed in their presence. It gives truth to the story that they tell in the situation. So what a contrast between what they'd been experiencing all night long, working hard at what they knew best, and frustrated that they hadn't caught anything, and then this, they catch a bunch of fish. From complete failure to instant success in a moment's time. The secret was obedience to the Lord's directives. Earlier, again, they'd been relying on their own understanding. Earlier, they'd applied themselves diligently. Earlier, they had tried harder and then even harder. But now, they were simply obeying, and that's what worked. And when the Lord directs, life is sweeter. It was at that point that John put all the pieces together. It was a deja vu moment. And he remembered a moment three years earlier that had almost been exactly the same situation, and he realized who it was on the beach that had told them, to fish on the other side of the boat. In fact, I'm going to go back to that story in Luke chapter 5. It tells the story. So Luke chapter 5, verse 4, I invite you to look there with me. This is what Luke tells us. Again, this is the beginning of Jesus inviting the disciples to follow him three years earlier. Scripture tells us when he had finished speaking, Jesus, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. 
So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed him. So just prior to this passage in Luke 5, the disciples had already met Jesus. And in fact, in John chapter 1, we know that they had received a call to follow Jesus. And they were excited, but somehow they were kind of stuck between, should we keep fishing? Should we follow Jesus? Could we, should we do both? And so they're back again fishing. And Jesus, in a very similar situation like this one, uh, experienced in this text, but they notice what Jesus says to them. In Luke chapter 5, and verse 10 again, he says, Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. This would now be their primary purpose in their lives. And how do they respond to that call? Well, the next verse says, So they pulled their boats up on shore, they left everything, and they followed him. I've heard that story today already, it feels like. Somebody sitting in our congregation a year and a half ago heard a calling and left everything to go follow and do what God had done. See, it still happens today. So three years earlier in this story, Jesus had told the disciples that they would be fishing for men and for women. And now he's reminded them of their calling, saying, As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. And by once again filling their nets with fish, he was reaffirming that call in their lives that he had called already on them three years earlier. And just like the disciples, Jesus calls us to fish for people for the kingdom. We're called to show compassion. We're called to show kindness. We're called to show uh, love to others. We're called to bring comfort. We're called to bring shelter for people in the midst of floods. We're called to be Jesus to men, women, and children, to bring them into the kingdom. Now, sometimes we can spend a lot of time fishing in our own efforts in that way, a lot of times trying to do something without any results. And perhaps Jesus is drawing alongside us today to say, hey, throw your net over there this time. Try it over here. Get involved with these people. Why don't you telephone and call that person? They, they need an encouraging word today. Why don't you consider starting a life group so more people can be uh, studying Scripture together and grow in the Lord together? Visit your neighbor. They need somebody today to encourage them. Use your money for the kingdom of God in this way to help build the kingdom. Jesus is telling us, drop your nets where and when and what. When I tell you to do that. And when the Lord directs, our life becomes sweeter. John looks at Peter, we're told, and in this moment he realizes who it is. It's the Lord. It's the Lord, Peter. That's who's on the shore. And we're told that Peter takes on, puts on his outer garment that he had taken off. He jumps in the water and he swims for Jesus. I don't know if Peter gained much from uh, that impulsive act, but I have to admire what he did. Don't you? I mean, he was bold. He was excited about the fish that they had caught. He's a professional fisherman, and yet he's more excited about Jesus. He left the catch of the day to go and to be with Jesus as soon as possible. He put forth effort to get to the Lord. Do you see his zeal for the Lord? There's times I wish I had that zeal in my heart for the Lord. The story reminds me of a time that I went fishing with our son, Connor, and with uh, my dad and with our father-in-law, my father-in-law. And uh, when we had lived in Omaha, our daughter played basketball in high school. And when you're a parent watching your kid play sports, you get to meet other parents, get to know them, become their friends too, because you spend a lot of time together. And and I got to know this one guy, a dad of a daughter playing ball, and he was a professional fishing guide in Omaha, Nebraska. I didn't know the fishing was so good that they had professional fishing guides in Omaha, but he that's what he did. 
And he loved to talk about fishing. And I, you know, I enjoy fishing some. And so we would talk about fishing. I'd ask him how he, what he did and how he did it. Where did he take people? And, and, you know, I thought to myself, well, I wish I had $500 I could offer him. And then I really enjoy a day of fishing. So as we got to know each other after a couple of years, he, he said, hey, he goes, I, you ought to come out and come fishing with me sometime and take your family, some of your family members with us. And I said, hey, I don't have the money to, take, to hire you as a guide. He said, oh, don't worry. He says, if it's a weekday, he said, uh, don't worry about it. He says, I'll just pay for my gas, pay for my lunch. That's all I need. I enjoy going out and taking you out fishing. So I called my father-in-law. I called my dad. We figured out a time. They came up to Omaha. We all went fishing with our, this fishing guide one day. So he takes us to this lake in West Omaha. It was a new lake. And he took us out in his boat, beautiful boat, and he took us exactly to this, this place on the shore. He told us how far from the shore we should be. He showed us how to cast the lure. He put the right kind of, he said, this is the kind of lure we want to use. This is how close to the bank you want to throw it. This is how you want to work the action of the lure. And he said, you're going to catch fish if you do all these things. And what do you know? We caught fish. We caught lots of fish. I mean, we caught crappie, we caught wipers. We, he even told us off the back of the boat with a certain kind of lure, you're going to catch pike. We caught like five or six huge pike. It was amazing. We caught over 80 fish in like three hours. It's great. And what was really great about it was we had all these people that were on the lake that were kind of starting to get close to where they're at. They were trying to figure out what are we doing and how are we doing it. And I don't know what was more better, that or, or when we got home, being able to tell everybody what had happened that day. So in the same situation, Peter was excited, right? They caught 153 fish. But he was more excited about Jesus. He was more excited that Jesus was on the shore, and and he was excited about the presence of Jesus. He was so excited that Peter, a professional fisherman, left all the fish, dove in, went to go be with Jesus. Life with Jesus is sweeter, so sweet, that it's even better than the best fishing day. That's how good it is. When they arrived at the shore, the disciples had an experience of companionship with Jesus. We have the story of Jesus. He's there. He's, he's built a warm fire. They're cooking breakfast. Have you ever woken up on a cool fall morning and you've woken up to the smell of bacon and eggs in your nose? That is almost heaven on earth right there. You know, one of the things I love about our men's ministry when we do the breakfast at the beginning, the first Saturday of every month, is when I walk into the building, I smell the bacon and the eggs, and I think, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> but you have these disciples. They've been out all night. They're cold. They're tired. They're wet. They're hungry. Just imagine Peter walking up on the, on the shore with water dripping off of him and looking at that warm fire, smelling the Jewish version of bacon and eggs. And it's a warm invitation to companionship with Jesus. And that invitation is given to each one of us every day. Join me for some good time together. In my word, come to me during breakfast. Let's have some time together where I can encourage you and build you up and you can get to know me and learn my voice in your life. In verse 1 of the text that we read, John uses the word appeared, that Jesus appeared to the disciples again. It's not just that he appeared. It's not just that he showed up. But the story is really about him, him revealing himself to the disciples and revealing more about himself to them. And what do we see about Jesus in the text? Well, we see the same care that he has for his disciples, his followers, after. That he had the, the same care for them before his death and his resurrection. We see the Lord of glory still willing to stoop down and prepare a breakfast, a meal for those that he loves. 
We see somebody who cares about their practical needs. The same Jesus who washed their feet before his death is now the same Jesus who serves them breakfast. He's not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We, we take that for granted, but we have a lot of hindsight that these disciples didn't have at the time. Surely they, they wondered about their relationship with Jesus. What would it be like now that he was resurrected and glorified? Jesus had just conquered death and hell. He's the glorified Lord of glory, the God of all flesh, the master of the universe, the king of all kings. How would you expect such a one to appear? You know the disciples had to be wondering, what was this going to be like? Would he appear perhaps sitting on a golden throne surrounded by all the angels and demanding that all of his servants bow and kiss his feet? No, that's not how he appears. He, he is bowing. He is serving. Even now, he, even in his glorified state, Let that revelation of Jesus soak in. It's a model for his call on his disciples. It's a model for his call on us today as his disciples. If this glorious, mighty God King, God Man would stoop to serve others, is it beneath his followers that we would do the same? Jesus has used this whole experience to remind them, the disciples, of their calling, of his promise that he would never leave them or forsake them. That he was gonna, he had been equipping them for a purpose, for a mission and a ministry that he had called them to do. And as we read the gospel account one more time, do you notice the names of the first two disciples that are mentioned in this account? Peter, the one who denied. Thomas, the one who had doubted. These, these disciples are just like us. They're sinners. They need the love and the forgiveness of their Lord and their Savior. They're not perfect disciples with perfect faith, whom Jesus is now regarding, rewarding with some kind of perfect catch. Literally, these are sinners like you and me and everyone else on this planet who had no way of saving themselves or making up for the ways that, that they had offended or denied or doubted God. Everything Jesus did for them and he does for us flows entirely and purely from God's grace. His undeserved love for undeserving sinners He can come to them and bless them because their sins have been taken away. The offense is gone. He has taken away the sins because of the blood that he shed on the cross. He took your sins away too. Every wrong thing that you've ever done and every right thing that you haven't done. There's no guilt that remains when we are in Christ Jesus. He has given you everything that you need for eternal life with God in heaven. But he doesn't stop giving there. No, he, he promises to give us everything that we need for our lives and for the mission service that he calls us to here on earth. When the Lord directs, life is so much sweeter. In the latter part of the chapter, we see how all this leads into a full restoration of Peter into his calling. Luke, Pastor Luke's going to preach on that next Sunday. It is a powerful passage, and you need to hear that. But even here in this beginning part, Jesus has orchestrated events to teach them some very important principles for the future. What are some of those principles? Well, one, good ideas and lots of effort may prove to be futile and frustrating. I entitled the message Breakfast on the Beach, but I almost gave it this title, Trying Harder May Not Be the Answer. If you're working hard with very little results, maybe we should cock our ear and our head to the Lord and listen to His directions a little bit closer. Isn't it amazing how little toil was involved in casting the net one more time after a night of frustration under the guidance of the Lord? 
What did that, what happened in that moment? They fully succeeded. Number two, real success and fruitfulness is found in obeying his directives. When we are listening and obeying what God is calling us to do, boy, there's so much that can happen. And think about how much happened with the disciples, not just in this situation, but for the rest of their lives. All the mission that they accomplished because of how God had equipped them and what they accomplished in and through the leadership and the direction of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Number three, he's got your needs covered. He does. At least some of the disciples' motivation probably was very practical idea of making a living. They were out there trying to do that without much success. But Jesus provided bread and fish for breakfast, and beyond that, 153 more fish. When the Lord directs, life is sweeter. He will provide for your needs. Number four, his, li- his call in your life remains steadfast. It has not changed since the moment you gave your life to Christ. The call in your life is the same today as it was back then. Notice the initiative that Jesus took in the story toward his disciples. I want you to notice the invitation he extended to them, to the, the warm fire and to the breakfast. They had reverted back to their old job of fishing, but, but he's affirming their call to be fishers of men. We have a calling. We have a calling that God has given to us that's so much greater than our jobs or recreation or any other kinds of things that we can do in this life. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. Make disciples in our family, make disciples in our neighborhood, in our church, in our work community, make disciples in this community, in other communities, and all across the world. That is our calling. The disciples enjoyed another miracle with the resurrection appearance of Jesus. They caught 153 fish after catching nothing all night long. And with Jesus' help, they caught more than they could ever have hoped for or imagined. But the miracles had just begun. This wasn't the last miracle. Because just in a few weeks, Peter, under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit, would preach the gospel. And Acts tells us that 3,000 people came into the kingdom of God in that one sermon. With Jesus' help, the disciples became fishers of men and did more miracles than they would have ever imagined. For anyone here this morning who's lost your heart and your calling, Jesus says to you, come join me in companionship and see what I have in store for you, things greater than you could ever imagine. When the Lord directs, life is sweeter than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this awesome story. Uh, Lord, we're thankful that just as you came to the disciples, you've come to each one of us. You call us first to follow you, but then you also call us to be partners in sharing the good news, in building your kingdom. And God, we're so grateful for this purpose, this calling that we have in our lives. We're grateful that you equip us through the presence and the gift of your Holy Spirit to do the work that you call us to do. And God, in those moments where we're not sure what's happening or how you're at work, help us just to continue to trust in you and to look and to listen for your direction in our lives, in the life of our church, in the life of your church in this world. God, it is so such a blessing to be a part of what you are doing. We're so honored that you have called us. We're so such a privilege again, God. May we be found faithful. 
for that calling. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.